Let's talk some overlooked stocks with George Tillis. But first, you know, we got to get his two cents on the Zillow news. George, so Zillow out of the biz for real. What do you think? Uh, well, I think maybe they should have been in that business to begin with. I mean, they're taking on balance sheet risk, and the, the risk they tried to take on was supposed to be temporary and offloading a lot of the houses. But I think the, the challenge is in terms of the demand uh, the demand for houses, OJ, I think uh, people got burned out when they're looking for new homes, and I think uh, Zillow got caught with a lot of inventory. I actually see this happening in the auto space as well. I think CarMax sort of tried to corner the market in autos too and got caught with a lot of inventory. That's what I denoted in the earnings conference call last time around. I think Zillow did the same thing in the housing market. So, uh, you know, I, I think overall, you know, they, they mentioned this in the past. This is pre prior to COVID. They had done it in the past. Uh, it was a small portion of their business, but at the end of the day, you take on the balance sheet risk of, of holding that inventory. And again, offloading that becomes another uh, another altogether challenge because if they were the biggest buyer out there bidding on homes that uh, they didn't even look at out competing uh, folks who were actually looking to live in the home uh, you know I think at the end of the day they recognize that uh, they may have actually overpaid for a lot of houses and right mm. now there's a lot of inventory that they can't potentially uh, dispose of so george i mean they've got as much data as anybody else in the entire industry if they couldn't do it uh, what hope is there for the average person who just bought a house uh, expecting it to increase in price? Well, that's the thing. I, I think at the end of the day, they they actually have a market on information, data analytics, and of course, um, you know, sharing this information with real estate, uh, you know, uh, partners. But when you start moving into businesses that that require a lot of capital to uh, to make investments, you've got to set aside provisions for that particular capital. And I think at the end of the day, it's maybe not Zillow just declaring we're out of the market because we see softness in the housing market. I suggest what this, what's really going on is, is those uh, lenders who were lending them money decided we don't want to participate anymore. And, and so at the end of the day, prior to the, uh, the earnings announcements, we know uh, Zillow had been moving to the downside. And that gives you an idea that maybe there's, a, there's an equity sliver that needs to come to the marketplace to finance a lot of this inventory versus going to the capital markets and borrowing in the, uh, the commercial paper uh, realm of the world. In other words, they were borrowing short-term funds to make these purchases, hoping to, 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 to offload them quickly and make a quick profit, but maybe the lenders required lots more capital or higher interest rates to do so, and at the end of the day, uh, they may have to raise equity capital to, uh, to service the existing inventory of houses they have uh, potentially offload them, but uh, as you mentioned, they declare they're not going to be doing it anymore, and that's uh, that's probably a sign uh, that they know uh, that there's some challenges in moving that inventory. Okay. All right, George, let's talk about the other ones here. Thank you for that thought, uh, George Tillis. So something maybe a little bit more just uh, very supply imbalance specific with Zillow. Man, we just really, uh, we can write everything off to that right now. Uh, basically, this kind of possibly temporary impasse. All right, George, let's talk other movers here this afternoon. Uh, Match.com, I think, is always a good one to look at here as we see services and the online uh, just take over during the COVID period. Match did great and held on as folks started going back out on in-person dates, uh, I think. I don't know. Not me, but... Apparently it still works. 801 million revenue hits right in line 
with the estimate EPS. Maybe a problem here, though? I think so. And yeah, I forgot you're off the market, OJ. But yeah, <laughs> it looks like their uh, the revenues came in slightly lower than expectations. It looks like, if I'm not mistaken, they beat on the EPS front. I could be wrong because I, I didn't actually see the number. The average revenue per user increased about 7.5% to 16 dollars and six cents and again that should be lower than the top line sales growth which again even on an adjusted basis here missing that number slightly is still about 26 percent increase to uh to the upside so look i think at the end of the day this was a covid uh, problem-based stock because uh subscriptions for online dating including match.com tinder uh there's just too many names of uh holding companies or companies that are under the holding company umbrella of match.com or match group, forgive me. That's right. Uh, that they have, uh, they they essentially lost a huge portion of their subscription revenue, which is about ninety percent of their total revenue versus five percent for their ads. Spun off from IAC, which still owns a significant portion of the company uh, itself. But I think at the end of the day, there had been a lot of acquisitions the company made, perhaps at the wrong time when COVID uh, caused some uh, some restrictions and fear uh, of you know dating complete strangers, uh, meeting them online. But at the end of the day, paid subscriptions really make a big difference for the company. But there is competition now publicly traded, including companies like Bumble and Facebook. We gotta remember Facebook is also a player in the dating scene as well. Of course, uh, George, looking at um, how the stock is, has traded, I mean, it seems like this could be a pretty important report to see how they respond to this revenue outlook that is a little bit shy because uh, we did get an intraday uh, record uh, uh, two, two weeks ago. Um, but right now, uh, the stock now is on pace for the second weekly decline here yep. uh, if this comes under further pressure in the aftermarket. Yeah, there was uh, a couple of weeks back, and that was associated with the downloads from the Google Store based upon the number of downloads. I don't know where they rank. They're certainly in the top 50. Uh, when it comes down to Tinder, I think it's like top three or four when it comes down to the uh, the number of downloads. So it's a very popular uh, app. In other words, they have 45 different, uh, of course, named brands under the match group umbrella, but Tinder is the most popular one. And I think what happened in terms of that push of the upside a couple of weeks back was the fact that uh, Google, uh, Google Play Store uh, decided to, to cut the take rate. And so in other words, they found that the apps were very profitable, match.com apps, our, our match groups apps were very profitable Google. And so they gave them a concession. And that was a partial reason why we saw that push to the upside uh, in the company. But I think overall, uh, not necessarily just the competition, but it's the aggregation of so many different, uh, like I said, uh, brands. And, yep. and, and I think that aggregation has been expensive. Uh, and you, again, you're not necessarily seeing the manifestation of, of that, that expense that has occurred for, uh, for multiple years. Okay, uh, George, let's talk some T-Mobile here. Uh, nice work, and I like the context there on uh, what's happened recently in match. The T-Mobile here is uh, trading up to $118 in the aftermarket, closed at $115, and looking a heck of a lot better than most. Yeah. I don't know, maybe. I mean, the pullback here that has been pretty severe in all of the communication services and wireless businesses. But at least for T-Mobile, the level it's trading at, uh, it reached in October of last year and is still elevated on its uh, three-year level. AT&T is at the worst price it's traded at in at least three years. Uh, and then we've seen also Verizon, too, uh, trading at uh, below the range of its past, call it three years as well. So 
in these three companies now, T-Mobile having bought Sprint OJ, which is now the 30% uh, uh, market share uh, based company for telecom services. We have utilities now. These are, that's what these three companies are. They're basically running an oligopoly. And so right now looking at, um, you know, stable utilities and staples and telecom companies like this, these included, they're out of favor based upon the cyclicality of some of the other industry groups and sectors that are performing better. So I think that's one of the reasons why are the, the, the drivers for some underperformance uh, in these telco companies uh, in this last uh, year-to-date basis. But looking at T-Mobile, this is why you don't want to jump the gun on the earnings, because initially everyone was reacting to the missed revenue number, which came in slightly uh, lower than the expectations, I believe 19.62 billion versus 20.2 billion. So the top line sales were up 1.8%. Uh, overall, but the the metrics that everyone was focused on, and as an investor, you should, is their net cash from operation as well as free cash flow and EBITDA margins. All of those look like they were positive. And what that hmm. all means is Wall Street cares about not necessarily the number of prepaid or postpaid subscribers, which are increasing uh, in terms of their guidance between 5.1 and 5.3 million. Do the math, they have about 68 million. Uh, postpaid subscribers right now, so that's less than 10%. Everyone wants to know how the acquisition, uh, you know, synergies are, are going. What, what's the acquisition synergies are going on with the uh, the acquisition they made of? Um, oh gosh, I forget the name now. Uh, OJ. Yeah. Uh, that T-Mobile made recently. So. Yeah, Sprint uh, T-Mobile. Thank you. Well, Sprint. Yeah. Yep. So with Sprint, and that's what everyone's looking at. And I think if you look at the report. The uh, operating cash flow came in ahead of expectations, and the guidance for that game uh, was, uh, again, uh, at least at or better than expected, and that's why we're seeing the reversal uh, after the initial sell-off. Okay. So uh, some decent little you know, buying happening here, uh, and they do yeah. say that a lot of the costs are coming from the merger you know, as they continue to find those yes. synergies. So at least uh, you know, this stock, and that's kind of why I wanted to look at the longer-term chart, is because at least relative to its peers in its own history, it still has been the better investment uh, because the market generally liked that Sprint T-Mobile deal. Yes, sir. Because there's more opportunities for uh, margin expansion, cost Bingo. cutting, yeah. and that's and so forth. Might so take another quarter, it looks like. Uh, exactly, exactly, and, that, and you may end up seeing some outperformance in this company relative to its um, its bigger peers for market share. But like I said, at the end of the day, in the long run, they'll probably all trade relatively similar together, unless again they start moving into different um, directions, either media, uh, other other forms of, uh, of of revenue. Okay. Uh, George, we were going to look at Paycom, but we're pretty much out of time. Give me your 40-second okay. thought here on how this stock has just crushed everything in the HR, software, and employment space. But I don't know. That kind of missed, uh, finally, the first slip-up from this stock, perhaps. Yeah, you know, here's the thing. The company is extremely profitable. A little bit of a slip-up. I didn't actually see the numbers on this one, but look. Paycom has performed extremely well in the last in the last year, up 52%. It competes with companies like ADP. Now, Paycom is basically the workday of small and medium-sized businesses. So there's, again, two sort of markets, larger uh, enterprises, small and medium-sized businesses. Paycom is one of the leaders and very profitable, by the way, uh, in that space uh, when it comes to talent acquisition, HR management, time and labor management, as well as payroll processing. So overall, top-line sales, uh, looks like close to 30% profitability 
Uh, last quarter was uh, 22%. I didn't get a chance, like I said, to look at this quarter's numbers. But I think it was priced for some perfection, and maybe that's why we're seeing a little sell-off in the after hours. Yeah. But, uh, we'll see how it's... Uh, it, it performs in the morning. Analysts were all in agreement, 88 to 98 cents, pretty tight range for expectations there uh, that they had, and obviously falling sh uh, short by a long shot uh, here this afternoon on the bottom line. And so we'll be looking at that margin number and the uh, profitability tomorrow morning. Uh, thanks, George Tillis. Excellent work uh, contributing here for us on the live earnings this afternoon. So, Jay. You got it, sir.